If blockchain can be used to solve the double spending problem and keep an immutable ledger, why can't it be used to validate identity? Hmm? Well, guess what? It can. And if Vinny Lingham has his way, his project is going to lead the way in the global digital identity revolution. Civic has an app that stores your digital identity and makes it as simple as scanning a QR code to prove that you are who you are. And today we speak to Vinny about Civic, Bitcoin, blockchain, and the future of crypto. In spite of Travis wanting to be me when he grows up, I have proof that I am me and he is not. But then again, there's only one Travis Wright as well. So join us both as we validate you on episode number 251 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. I am he as you are he as you are me and we are all together, Mr. Joel Kahn. Gukukajub, my friend. That's right. The walrus was Paul. That's true. That's true. Have you ever have you ever gone down the wall, uh, Paul is dead uh, conspiracy theory? Who hasn't? It's so funny. Like, I really hadn't really gone down it too much. And then people are like, oh, all the people who are like, they're like the moon landing people who didn't land on the moon. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, look, he looks totally different in 1965 than he did in 1966. His eyes don't match up and his earlobe is different. And like, whoa, it's weird. Right. But At I- the end of uh, Strawberry Fields Forever, if you listen closely, turn up your volume, you hear, I very Paul. <laughs> wow. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. If, if wait, if, do you if not know the, that? That's no, no. Key. Yeah, yeah. No. If I go, listen, that's crazy. You know, that's crazy. If 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 uh, you know, all I got to say is, man, if the Paul McCartney is fake, he did a hell of a job at Wings and everything else he's done since then. I mean, he's super believable. He kept writing great songs. So good on fake Paul, I guess. Yeah, Ringo's the fake one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, right, I, I take I take offense to that, lad. I don't know uh, about that. We should be talking about identity on this podcast, then maybe. Let's talk about the Bad Crypto Podcast show for the crypto curious, crypto serious, and crypto identitists. Because today we're going to talk to Vinny Lingham of a Civic. First of all, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Mr. Travis Wright. Why don't you tell us about LinkedIn Jobs? LinkedIn Jobs. So, if you're looking to make a hire for your small business. You want to go to LinkedIn. It's probably the best place to go find quality candidates. Uh, it's going to make sense to your role. You're going to be able to see their profile, look at them, and see if they measure up to what you're looking for. Uh, LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both the hard skills and soft skills to match you with the people that fit your role the best. Your LinkedIn Jobs matches are based on skills and background, also interest, activities, and passions, and reviews, and peer-rated stuff, right? So, this helps you out quite a little bit. Um, matching lets you quickly get a group for the most relevant, qualified candidates for your role. People are gonna, you know, people are gonna submit their their LinkedIn profile to you and their resume, and uh, go check it out. Uh, post a job today at LinkedIn.com/slash Bad Crypto Podcast and get fifty dollars off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com/slash Bad Crypto Podcast. Terms and dis- conditions do apply, so uh, make sure to check that out. And also want to thank our sponsors at Divi. Hopefully you got to hear the episode with Nick Sapinaro and Tim Sanders that we did just a few back. DiviProject.org. This is super cool because Masternodes, baby. We finally covered Masternodes and Divi was the the perfect 
example of how easy it can be for you to earn crypto with masternodes. The beauty is, is they've got a one-click cloud installer that makes it so simple to set up instantly mining with uh, the Divi coin. It's the Divi project. These guys are uh, dedicated to reducing the friction tax of crypto, and they're doing it through their user experience and their UI. Again, go to DiviProject.org. Join their Telegram, t.me forward slash Divi Project. Links in the show notes to all of their presence. And that is Divi. It is Divi'd up. All right. We had a great interview. You guys are going to love this. Vinny Lingham is one super smart entrepreneur and Civic is a cool project. So let's get to it. We're pleased to welcome back to the Republic of Bad Cryptopia, the co-founder and CEO of Civic, among many other projects in the tech and crypto space, the one and only Vinny Lingham. Vinny, welcome back. Thanks, Joel. Travis, good to be back. Yeah, don't thank Travis. He was late getting here. Just thank me. Thanks, Joel. You're welcome. <laughs> Travis, are you up? I'm not up, no. <laughs> he's just he's rubbing the sleep from his eyes. That's true. I was up. I got up earlier, and then I was reading Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos. I was going through that, and then he's pretty technical, and then next thing I know, I'm asleep. That's that's I mean, a great testimonial. Andreas Antonopoulos' book will knock you out. <laughs> it, is so good. it is so technical. You're like, ugh. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, Vinny, you are the uh, the co-founder, CEO of Civic, and your project comes up a lot in discussions with others in the crypto space because your tool is designed to work within other tools. It's, it's all about secure identity. So for those who don't know, maybe kind of give us an overview of what Civic is. So, so, so Civic say, um, you know, Digital ID company, I think it's uh, more, that's a broader, a broader word for description for what we're doing. You know, we, we've been busy doing lots of things. We launched, uh, obviously, the token sale in 2017. We've um, launched ID.com last year. We're busy in the process of launching ID.com, which is a marketplace which is powered by the tokens. Uh, and that just allows people to exchange and verify you know, ID credentials. But, you know, the, the overarching vision for the company is, we want to digitize driver's licenses, passports, birth certificates, everything. Put it all on your devices. Uh, no central database that stores your information. You store it and keep the information for yourself using blockchain for verification, effectively like a big you know, public key infrastructure uh, system, which, which can validate that the, the data that you have is legit and you're the owner of it. Um, and we, we, you know, we're focusing on practical you know, use cases. This is a very early space, very nascent, so we're trying to figure it out. And our go-to-market so far, the stuff we've launched publicly has been, uh, for example, the Budweiser beer vending machine at Consensus last year, where you know you could you could essentially just launch a um, a, a machine that that sells products which are age restricted, and the machine could um, verify your age without without having to um, take your ID credentials and store it or anything like that. So that kind of it's a zero knowledge proof essentially. Uh, on your on your um, credentials. So, so so as opposed to like you know an Apple Wallet type thing where Apple has. Yeah, as opposed to like walking into a bar, the barman sees all your information. He sees where you live. He sees your age, weight, height, whatever. The machine just checks that you're over over twenty one and dispenses a beer to you. Um, so we've got some cool stuff in that category coming up. But but these are practical use cases. We just announced a partnership deal with JCI, which is a Fortune hundred company where. You know, they power 
know, dozens, hundreds of buildings in New York uh, and around the country, uh, they are their own Tyco, for example. So when you walk into a building and you have to give the security person your ID and they write it down and you know, check all the information, there'll be a booth that you go through and you just use the Civic app on the booth and you confirm that you are who you say you are and they let you into the building. So we're basically building infrastructure that supports digital ID information exchange in a secure private manner. We're very consumer focused, very privacy focused. That's great. I'm curious now, so I want a beer, right? It's early in the day. Now now I'm thirsty for a beer. What's the process? How long does it take? Like I see this I see this vending machine and I'm like, oh yeah, I want a beer, but I'm not on Civic yet. How long does the process take to to get verified to get on the to get on your system? Eighty five percent of people will be verified within within two minutes. Mm, that's pretty so, quick. Yeah, the fifteen percent of people who have IDs like maybe damaged, it doesn't look right. The machine learning systems haven't, you know, picked it. like every. There's fifty states in the US, for example. Every ID is different, and we mm. use uh, we, we use a lot of um, uh, advanced technology, which makes sure that, that you are the you know the person whose face is on the on the ID, for example. Maybe quicker would to use a passport than to use an individual driver's license. Yeah, you can use a passport as well, as long as it's a clear photo and lighting's good. And but like I said, eighty-five percent of people get it done within two minutes, and then once it's there, you can keep going back to the machine all day long. I like so, to uh, when when uh, we're interviewing somebody that's got an app and I haven't used it, I like to actually grab it while we're doing the interview to see how quickly I can onboard. So uh, in the iOS app store, it was easy to find the Civic ID app, and I've just uh, set up my account. I'm assuming there's an Android version as well. Uh, yes, there is. There is Android. So how's the process going, Mr. Joe Com? Is it working pretty smooth process for you? The process is going good. I'm uh, putting in, I just verified my email, and now I'm verifying my uh, my mobile number, and it's going to send me the code. So, you know, it's kind of like, oh, there it is, double-checking to make sure I am who I say I am. And I am, because I say so. And uh, then it's going to allow me to set up my uh, my ID in here. So this is pretty slick and pretty cool so how are things progressing over there you know you guys had a really successful ico you've been doing some proof of of concepts uh what's you know what's on the horizon here to make this thing get great adoption um you know getting getting these use cases that's i mean that's the key for us right now making sure that we have practical use cases that like what's the point of digital id if no one actually uses it right so in order to get there we really have to we really have to basically make sure that there's enough use cases that people feel that there's, you know, there's something they can do with it and, and use their phone every day for it and use their ID for it every day. It's right. Not- so, so how do I actually use it? I'm looking at it now and it says Civic ID with a check mark and my email and my phone number are there. How do I apply this? Uh, that you, you need to have the machine in front of you. Okay. And so what do you do? You scan like a, a QR code or something? Uh, yeah, there'll be a machine. Very cool. It is great. I'm I'm curious about this, right? So, you know, every, you know, everyone has, or you know, two billion people have a Facebook account. I don't know how many people have a Gmail. Uh, people have Twitter accounts and whatnot. Now, is this going to be something that you're going to be able to maybe, you know, verify people's identity for social media? Is there any platforms that you guys have worked on or working with around decentralized social media yet? So we, we, we've been changing and working with a few of the smaller companies that are interested in creating high-quality user account systems, but the big guys don't care. I mean, they don't, there's no legal requirement for them to make sure that every account is validated and has a real person behind it. In fact, you know, they allow multiple accounts. So 
Facebook doesn't, you know, in terms of conditions, but you know, people do have multiple accounts on Facebook and a lot of fake accounts there as well. Twitter, obviously, anyone can open up an account. Uh, Instagram as well. So, and you can open up multiple accounts. You have 50, 100, there's no limit. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, there's just no requirement for these big guys to cut down the number of accounts and trolls, et cetera, and create a, a higher quality network uh, because, you know, Wall Street judges them on growth and, you know, monthly active users. Well, that's and, okay because they're about to be disrupted anyway. So, yeah, so you know, when that happens, that's fine. But like the big guys are just—they've actually got no motivation for cleaning up the the, the system because you're know, reducing any friction to creating accounts with slow growth, and slow growth means you know low valuations. And so you know the financial motivations behind what they do is just not geared towards improving the state of um, identity on the web uh, and, and on the internet. So. That that's just is what it is, right? There's, there's nothing you can really do about that. You can't you can't you know, get Google and Facebook and uh, Instagram, whoever else, to start verifying every single account. It's uh, you know, unless it's a legal mandate, uh, and some countries may move that route because of the you know what's been going on online. Um, but you know, there's just no motivation for them to do it right now. You know, I've started to be of the mindset that these big social media giants are actually far more fragile than many people think that, you know, if they push too far, the wrong people or groups of people, that a, a mass exodus can take place to a, a new solution. Do you, do you think that that's likely to happen because of a, a censorship and having a, you know, a blockchain solution on hand that can bring free speech to where it needs to be? Um, again, if they want it, right? Well, I mean, if people are, are being censored, uh, and you know, well, if, the counter argument is is that by having your identity tied to a social media account, that that is a form of censorship. Explain. Well, if 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 they if people look, I have a different view on this, but I can tell you the counter view. The, my view is that you know you can have a hundred different accounts linked to a single ID. If I blocked you on let's say on Twitter, I want to block all your accounts. I don't want you coming back on a different account. I don't care who you are, and you can have all those accounts but every account should be linked to an ID. And I don't know, no need to know who that ID is, but I can at least block one account and every other sort of shadow account you open up wouldn't, wouldn't affect me. That's my, you know, the counter argument is that, you know, people have the right to free speech so they can open up multiple accounts. It's like, it's kind of weird, right? Free speech, if you translate that into the real world, it would be I have the right to clone myself and have five versions of Vinny walking around. And if you manage to avoid the one, the other four can still get to you, you know? <laughs> so... The world we live in is it's okay to have, you know, uh, multiple you know, social media troll accounts, but it's obviously not okay to have multiple versions of yourself cloned in the real world running around. I'm not possible. Well, what, what if you're not a tro- – I mean, most people don't behave like that, though. Most people um, have an account, and they just want to be able to use that account. So let's put trolls aside for the moment and address the same issue. The, I mean, the issue is the friction, right? So the social media companies don't want to add friction to sign up and usage. And uh, adding identity to an account adds friction. So that slows growth. And it, 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 it's, it's basically turning the dial on and saying, hey, let's go higher quality and lower growth. And that's kind of not something that they're interested in doing at all. One identity to rule them all. Well, it does make sense to be able, if they're all tied to, to one account, one ID. But I'm actually starting to look at the, the post you know, big social media world, because I think some of them are going to start, they're going to start uh, alienating enough people. And Joel and I have had lots of conversations on that. There's going to be some tipping point where people are going to go, you know what, already right now, conservatives are, um, you know, censored 21 to one 
uh, over liberals uh, on Twitter currently. You know, although Jack says, "Oh, we don't, we don't do anything like that. We're not, we're not picking on any group." And you know, politically, I'm a little bit left of center, and so, but I don't think that anybody should be banned on that. So that upsets me, and so I see that eventually there's going to be this tipping point where people are going to get pissed off at these social media platforms. For one, they own all their data, the whole Cambridge Analytica thing with with uh, with Facebook, and then how YouTube is de you know, demonetizing people's videos that they don't like the content of and they're deplatforming people. And basically there there gets a point where people become de-identified online. Like if, if they coordinate and, and kick you off online, then you no longer exist in today's, you know, town hall. And so, you know, what is it what is it going to take for new platforms to come up and utilize civic and 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 save the day? Because if not, free speech is going to go away before too long. Well, you you have the notion of anonymous logins and identities, right? So you could you could actually tie a real identity to an account, but not know who it is and not have any linkage to the real person's identity. Mm-hmm. There's a simple way of doing that using you know Civic as well and the crypto behind it. So the, we're not. I'm saying you can have real people validate their accounts and not know who they are, but not, not allow those people to you know duplicate duplicate accounts or have multiple accounts or whatever it is. They, they always are doing it, and you can have. A, Total amount of, in fact, you probably have more privacy than you can imagine because no one else can steal that account or pretend to be you. And you, you, if you have the keys, you can access that account only you. And uh, so it's, it's a, again, it's different shades of what you're trying to achieve, but the, the technology can allow for it. I don't think society uh, is um, critical enough around how, what influence social media plays in our lives and how they're able to, you know, civil attack us really. <laughs> If you think about it in, in, in a social context. Yeah, maybe not ready it, for it yet. In a perfect world where Civic is, just becomes an adopted platform that is used all over the place, what do, what problems do you think are will have been solved? What's it look like, you know, in this uh, this utopian future where everybody has, you know, this digital secure ID? I mean, our goal is to solve the problem of democracy, you know, ultimately as a company. Like, can we actually get to a point where everyone has a digital ID so everyone can vote? Now, whether you're using Civic as a company or the Identity.com platform or one of our partner networks, doesn't matter. We'll hopefully have interoperability. But the idea is that if everyone in the world had a digital ID and everyone voted during elections, you'd have better outcomes for democracy and more representative democracies. Um, so, so this would help solve voter fraud? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it already can today. Blockchain's biggest, uh, you know, the, one of the biggest use cases of blockchain is solving voter fraud and uh, voting. Like that was the original business case for Civic before we started the company. Mm. We to do identity because it's just, it, it, you know, it, it's a longer term thing. But we are, I think it's a very, uh, very much one of my, it's my pet project in the long term. But, but don't you know that voter ID is racist? <laughs> <laughs> voter ID and voter eligibility to vote. We think about it is a is a huge difference. Mm-hmm. You know, that's actually one of the things that sort of brought Joel and I together originally to, to eventually do bad crypto. So I wrote an article on Huffington Post in December of 2016, talking about you know the election and WikiLeaks and Podesta's you know hacked phone that he left in a taxi with his password was password. And, you know, like my son could have hacked that, you know, and, and, and so I just kind of went through the, all these things. It's like, look, everybody's complaining and pointing fingers and bitching about the problem. 
but the solution is evident. The solution is blockchain and the solution is, you know, voter ID or some sort of civic identity. And that was before I even knew that you were working on that project. And so I'm glad to see that that's something that that is being you know worked on and being built. What is it going to take for governments around the world to start utilizing or implementing a, a service like Civic into their governmental ecosystems to ensure that that voting is done ethically and above board? Well, it's going to take an act, like literally in, in, in a real sense, someone's going to have to put an act up. Well, it's so funny. I mean, obviously, there are people that don't want voter ID for their own political reasons, right? If you just happen to be, um, you know, with a, a group that you know that you've got people ineligible that are giving you votes, and you're going to come up with the reason to say, "Oh, no, no, voter ID is uh, is a bad thing. We don't we don't want that. That's racist." I mean, you you got to have an ID to get booze. Got to have an ID to get I mean, cigarettes. Then you can't have an ID. Then you then you're really saying that even tourists or in the in the country can go vote. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, or in multiple times are even. Okay with, are we okay with busloads of tourists from a- Asia, Africa, and Europe walking around to voting booths on election day and casting a vote? They're in the country. They have a right to vote. That's the case. I'm not the only country that allows this, which is crazy. But for some odd reason, if we claim that we should, you know, optimize the system, then then we're right wing, ridiculous, horrible people. Uh, We've actually had this conversation online before on on bad crypto and people would message in like, oh, my God, you're so wrong about voter identity. Like, it's so wrong of you to even think that. Like, it's like a question. Like, you know, I'm an American citizen. My brother isn't. Okay, mm -hmm. Uh, if he walks, if he comes over to visit me, he's actually visiting me right now. So he. If we were having elections today and I went to the booth and I was like, okay, I'm going to go vote, why can't he come in and vote? Who's going to stop him? Hi, Vinny's brother. Welcome to America. Glad that glad that you're here. Yeah. Enjoy your he visit. Can help, he can help, in fact, he single-handedly can help sway the election for us. Who knows? <laughs> but right. it's, 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 it's kind of ridiculous, right? You can have someone who's not a citizen voting. Mm-hmm. And, well, and they've, also, they've done a lot of purging of these of these voting uh, you know, roll calls in different states, and they found like over a million in California people that are dead that aren't around anymore that have moved that are still on and still somehow voting. And there was a whole like couple hundred thousand or something in Texas, and there's 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 been in other states that they've shown that all these people who are voting that are ineligible to vote now that's over the last two years has been proven to be true. And so we we want to solve that problem. It seems to me that you know for for whatever reason. You know, the media focused on these eight to 12 Russian people sw- swaying the election, but not these millions of, you know, people who aren't eligible to vote who are voting. That doesn't impact the election, apparently, but, you know, 12 Russians do. Yeah, when it comes to media, it's kind of a joke because media, if, if they're actually higher statisticians, you'd have better outcomes in media report. But, but again, right. Like, right. They, don't, they have no incentive to do that. They have no to report. It doesn't drive their traffic in the right way. Uh, I want to ask you about this because you, you've done some really cool stuff over. And so, you know, you are in um, originally, I guess, from South Africa or you've lived in South Africa and you're a star of Shark Tank and, and Dragon's Den over there. You've worked on that stuff for a while. What, what are some of the maybe some of the cool things that you've seen come through um, those shows over there that, that maybe became really cool projects? Well, I mean, the, the coolest project so far out of Shark Tank has been uh, Augmentors. You can download it on the App Store, uh, A-U-G-M-E-N-T-O-R-S. 
And uh, it's, Augmentos really what that is is a oh, they were on the show and they were trying to solve they were, they were trying to solve the problem of um, digital scarcity, and they weren't really blockchain guys at all. They were just like, well, how do we you know how do we sell these cards? And these, it's like kind of like think it's like an AR version of Pokemon Go, if you will. Okay, uh, and, and, so, and, and not Pokemon, but like mythical creatures and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So Augmentos. Uh, and so I invested in the show. I think it was the first Shark Tank runs in I think 13 countries around the world right now, or 15 countries. So there's a you know there's a Shark Tank you know just about everywhere in the modern world, and it's very popular. And and I was the first shark out of all the sharks on Shark Tank to actually um, do a deal in BTC, uh, which was great. And so I invested in BTC, and I got the guys to uh, basically turn it into a crypto um, a crypto you know call it um, project and they were the, one of the first companies to really do like NFTs if you think about it like so every creature is linked to a token and you can buy creatures etc etc so yeah so it's a fun project they're still in beta but it's actually done really well there's been a lot of development on it and I'm excited to see where they go with it uh, yeah you're uh, the, the website for this is augmentorsgame.com and I'm downloading the iOS app right now Look, looks cool definitely uh, a, a lot cooler than Pokemon Go uh, so how how is it working uh, you know is there a token for it for people to buy yeah. and sell they, they they launched the databits token uh, an ICO like in January 2017 and uh, and you know under a million dollar sale and they built the software, I would say, pretty much on the cheap. I mean, they really, they're based out of Cape Town uh, and they kept their cost low, obviously benefit from the Bitcoin price increases, et cetera. Um, but, you know, they've, they've done a good job of managing that and building a, a pretty cool product. I mean, like when I invested in the show, there was really nothing there. And, and since then, they've built something which is, you can play the game today. It's really, really cool. Hmm. Before I met Vinny, I was just a loser. And now I'm a winner. That's kind of... So really cool stuff, Vinny. Let, let's talk about the market uh, broader. You know, back in October, we had you on stage with us at World Crypticon. Um, you and Ronnie Moas got into it a little bit and uh, t- uh, over the future price of Bitcoin, he's still standing by, I believe, his prediction that Bitcoin will hit $28,000 by the end of the year. He's, but he's, I don't he- think it's going to hit 28000 by the end of next year. You are a bozo. <laughs> uh you said that it's going to be a long cold crypto winter oh, let's talk about the bit first <laughs> it, what's that let's talk about the bit yeah let's <laughs> let, so the the bet was that it would be twenty eight thousand by december 31st midnight of 2019 and uh, he said yes you said no um you, you're sticking by that prediction well, I mean, I, I can buy myself out of the bit right now. Just buy one BTC of his twenty thousand. I give him twenty thousand. I'll make myself some profit on that as well. Ronnie's math's really bad because I don't think he thought through the bet when he made it on stage. But um, I could have bought the Bitcoin at that point in time and still being profitable on that bet. So that's why I took the bet. It was just like a, a no-brainer bet for me. I couldn't lose. I, I didn't buy the coin to cover the bet because I knew it's going to go down. As yeah, at six thousand, it was very clear it was going to break below. And it does. And now we're in the zone where this is, we're in a very tenuous zone for Bitcoin right now. Um, if the Bitcoin price drops below 3000 it's what I call like a nuclear winter where like all confidence is basically shaken in the sector. And it could take a long time to recover. Uh, the most likely outcome is what I said in November was that Bitcoin trades between three and 5000 for three to six months. And then 
depending on the direction, if it breaks up, then we have, then that's the bottom. You know, if it breaks down, uh, that becomes the top. And uh, and then we, we, we sit there for a while waiting for it to break up. I mean, listen, no one knows. Everything's statistics and percentage-based. I, I think there's a lot of trolls out there who think that people who make predictions and guesses and whatever else are like absolutists. I'm not an absolutist. My my view is very simple. Like there's a percentage chance that anything can happen. And w- w- what do you think the best odds of, of a particular outcome happening? Uh, is, that, is that an I absolute think- position? Are you sure about that? <laughs> Want to make a bet? Yeah. Um, actually, today, uh, as of recording the show, which we are uh, on February 19th today, uh-oh, which is my sister's birthday, which I'm glad I noticed that. I'm going to have to go message her. Um, it is a Bitcoin just went over $4,000 today. So it's gone up over 300 today. So it is at $4,010 as of right now. So maybe we are, we're still in that three to $5,000 range, though, but it's nice to see us at least poke our heads above 4000 for a change. Yeah. It's, uh, Again, how long it lasts, you remains to be seen, but I agree. I just want you to know, I uh, want to get back to this, but I downloaded Augmentors, and I've got these two creatures on my rug that are fighting one another. How cool, how cool is that game? Yeah, well, I just, I like I say, I'm, we're, we're doing this interview, and I'm kind of, while Travis is asking his great questions, I'm tapping to uh, see what it does, but I'm going to play with it some more after after i'm done here so you know one of the elements that people are bringing into this discussion of where bitcoin is going is that traditionally and statistically one year before the next halving is when we start to see a rise in the price and enter into a bull market well that one year mark is going to happen in may 2019 so we're just you know a few months away here from that do you subscribe Except this time it's different, right? Why? Um, th- this time, this time it's different. I think because um, uh, the the number of coins that are in issuance already far outweighs the number of coins that pre- in previous halvings. So, like in other words, the inflation is so low right now in Bitcoin, it doesn't make much of a difference. To be honest, I've actually thought of that because it's like here we are now. The reward is going to go down to six point one two five or something, right? And, and, and so we've already released over 17 million. There's only, you know, three and a half million or so left. And this having right here is not going to put that big of a dent or add that many new coins overall to the, um, to the pile. So what do you think then? Is it, what's it going to take for us to, to pass the previous high then? Because we're already 440 days or so into this crypto winter now from the last high. How, how long is it going to take to, to bump above that, do you think? There's two, there's two parts to this. Okay? Let's talk about the having from a psychological perspective. It has a huge impact. So there's a lot of people who are going to be buying it up, expecting it to go up, and it will go up on the basis of that. Will it be enough to topple? You know, the previous having didn't take us out of the the, the, the the highs, the previous highs, right? We only, you know, it got us like, it, got, it basically doubled us from like 300 or so to 700 in a year. And, you know, I've always been a fan of slow and steady growth, and everyone criticized me for that. But if we had had a more slow and steady growth, I think we'd be at ten thousand plus right now. Um, and, you know, maybe we get back up there, which is fine. But that's that's a separate issue. Um, if, I, I think the impact of the having may there may be some impact. I'm not sure whether the mechanics uh, of the market will trump the psychology of the having or not. And the the, the reality is, it could. Uh, there's a chance it could. I am 
I'm a little skeptical that it will, that that the psychology will trump the, the mechanics. And so, so let's go to the mechanics. What, what the like? What's and, and, and if you look across the market, there's different coins. It's really hard. So we can talk about Bitcoin and we can talk about other coins. Like, you got where do you guys want to go? Well, we want to hear what you think. Just let it. Let it no, run. I mean, like, so so my thoughts on the Bitcoin market is. Around the previous time of the having, there was a lot of adoption that was happening. Businesses were using it, accepting as payment. The um, Bitcoin was a payment mechanism at the last having, and everyone was trying to use it to get more businesses online. We're talking Overstock was accepting it, Gift was accepting it. Um, there were, you know, every day there were new businesses, new users, and we've lost that because the narrative has shifted from it being a payment mechanism to a store of value and a settlement network for a settlement layer for Lightning. Lightning's not ready yet. Lightning was promised to us, um, you know, back in 2015, really, in 2016, 17, 18, every year. Like, Lightning literally, for the past three years, four years, you could have said 18 months at any point in time, and it will be ready in 18 months, and it still wouldn't have been ready in 18 months. And we're still hearing, well, the, the volumes are up 18 months from now, we should have something. I, again, when it's there, um, and you can get adoption, that'd be great. But it's not there yet. It just isn't there. So go ahead and broaden that then to you know uh, to the to the altcoin market and what do you think is going to happen there? There's so many coins. Obviously, ICOs have slowed dramatically, but there's still you know hundreds of coins out there, thousands. Again, uh, unless these coins have independent value, like kind of like Binance has independent, BNB has independent value. My my company Multicoin just launched a report um, about that about uh, Binance uh, BNB. And, um, you know, you get a, it's, it's independent of Bitcoin, right? So the trade, a lot of trading happening on Binance and the infrastructure is building out around that coin. Then there's value that accrues to it. Um, you know, and it can probably weather the Bitcoin. You know, I talk about the decoupling a lot where coins start taking on the values independently of Bitcoin. Because quite frankly, Bitcoin tanks 20, 30%, everything else goes down with it, right? So we all know this. Um, it's because the coins are all linked together because there's no real utility right now across the entire crypto ecosystem. I mean, there aren't any coins that independently have value uh, other than being speculative, speculative coins on certain areas where we think the technology is going to evolve too. So Bitcoin remains the leader, you know, by far, and it will probably continue into the future uh, for now anyway, until there's a decoupling where effectively the price of Bitcoin goes too low or the utility of other coins exceed the reason for why you want to buy Bitcoin. So in other words, there's a coin that's just, it's got a lot of value, it's got a yield, it's got some return profile that looks really good and it beats Bitcoin, uh, not in the long term, not, you know, we're not talking about, I'm talking in terms of percentages, not in terms of, um, you know, market cap. Uh, and people start piling to that coin independently of what happens to the Bitcoin price. So the, this is a very complex market and ecosystem. I think people, you know, I, I, I'll be the first to admit that I can't possibly grasp all the different uh, nuances of it, and I don't think any one person can. So, you know, I, I enjoy being part of MultiCoin because I sit with Carl and Tashar, and we have weekly calls and we discuss trends and updates and stuff. We all have different views on things, and we we just learn from each other, and that's great. And I don't think any one person can. If you think if you're not part of a team or group of people who discuss these things, you're fooling yourself to think you can understand the market. It's just too multi-dimensional. Mm. So, what do you think of Bitcoin Cash, Doge, Silver, Platinum, uh, XP? Jetcoin. 
everyone's chasing after utility and use cases. That's the bottom line. Like, <laughs> this whole market is built around people's um, or communities' ability to chase after use cases. And and the use case for Bitcoin has now become a store of value and a settlement network. And until there's actual utility and uh, volumes there, it's hard to see how it how the how the use case uh, converts into actual you know adoption and people buying the coin. I mean, you think about it, people haven't people people were buying the coin on the basis that that it was, the price is going up, so that was one of the reasons why you buy Bitcoin. But when the price is dropping, you, that that store of value thesis gets 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 thrown out the window, right? Maybe there's a place for Ponzi coin. I'm just scrolling through Coin Market Cap, and, and in uh, position 1,156 on Coin Market Cap, there's actually something called Ponzi coin uh, that is worth two in two point eight cents apparently. I mean, how crazy is this that there are all of these tokens that have no utility and are virtually worthless, and yet people are trading them? This is why I don't think the market's bottomed out yet. I mean, it, it, for the market to bottom out in the cycle, Bitcoin Bitcoin dominance should go up to like eighty percent realistically. Mm-hmm. And so and that's kind of weird. Everyone thinks Vinny's a Bitcoin bear. Why would Bitcoin dominance go up? I'm not like I'm not a Bitcoin bear in, in the sense that I'm bearish about Bitcoin and the technology. I'm bearish on like the approach that we have towards markets and whether the, you know the look Bitcoin. We'll find a price, a clearing price that everyone will be to at some point. What that price is, I don't know. I just don't think it's the current price point that we're at. Yeah, I, I concur. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, if you actually look at the uptrend of of Bitcoin over time, you know, it's, you know, we're probably not too far off. You know, I think maybe we should be at least over five thousand dollars if it had been a steady growth pattern. Maybe we would have hit ten grand by now. But that huge spike up, you know, to twenty grand. And then all of those altcoins, and then the creation of Bcash, and then all those funds that were flush in you know in in, in the two thousand early two thousand eighteen late two thousand seventeen. Are we going to see something like that again? Do you think, or was that just a you know just this sort of you know combination of all of these sort of forces that work at once? Right, there was the ICO markets and all these money pouring into you know Ethereum, pouring into all these different startups and yeah. and then all, all this stuff that was going on it just seemed like there was all these things going on and then the ico dies off and then you know the bcash tanks and then a lot of the money just floods out of the market is that yeah. you see yeah. a time where like we're going to see this and more later on or was that a shot in the pan well i think there's a couple of things here one is i don't think we're factoring in black swan events which can't which can't happen and we do have to from time to time so we assume that we know all the outcomes, but leave it at that. So they, there may be a black swan event in crypto in the next while. Well, could you explain that? What do you mean? Well, unforeseen events. Okay. Like the, and the, the reason that black swans and the unforeseen is because we can't foresee it. <laughs> so right, right. So if I could foresee it, I could tell you what it was. It wouldn't maybe, be maybe not be a black swan. It would be like a gray exactly. swan. So you know, there'd be a black swan event of some sort in crypto. The other thing that's worth noting is if you were around for the dot com era, there was never another dot com bubble. That's right. It happened one time. Mm-hmm. And they were waiting for a second one, but it never came. All that happened was businesses started focusing on utility and driving value for customers and adoption and growth and the basic fundamentals of building, you know, enterprises in this universe we live in. And we, you know, slowly but surely got ourselves out of the mess that was created in the dot-com era, but it took us a long time. So that may be what happens in crypto. Or we could go into another speculative mania bubble and it just becomes so big that when it actually crashes, um, it damages the world in a very negative way, and then it brings in regulars, 
in, in, in much bigger way than it has before. And these are potential outcomes. I mean, you can imagine a world where if crypto got so big and it became a $5 trillion market cap with no yield, no revenues, purely speculation, it would be damaging. I mean, this bubble was nearly very damaging to a lot of, it was, oh, look, it was damaging a lot of people. It didn't really affect too many countries. If it was 10 times the size, it would affect countries. And at that point, you know, the governments will just be, you know. It hurt my feelings when it, when it crashed in my block folio. It did. Yeah. I want to ask a question. So you were the, the uh, co-founder and the CEO of Gift, G-Y-F-T, which I'm very familiar with. That's a mobile gift card company that you founded and you actually had, had sold that. What what do you think about, you know, gift cards in the crypto world? Because, I mean, I know you've spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, gift cards in your previous uh, company and, and crypto is kind of an interesting thing. Is there any, you know, thing that you've seen around gift cards and crypto yet that's interesting or exciting? No, I, I think uh, I haven't seen, I haven't looked at the space too much right now. The markets, the market is, uh, in crypto is pretty, as you guys know, pretty, uh, subdued so i think uh we'll probably find find some good use cases emerge but again one of the things that everyone's trying to solve right now is scaling and it hasn't been solved yet but over and about scaling is use cases and we've got to find better use cases with crypto and like all, all i'm saying is guys I, i'm a big fan of making lots of money on crypto i think that's a great idea but can we do it with something that's sustainable instead of a speculative mania bubble yeah, Vinny it's comes awesome on and we have to rename it to the Sad <laughs> Crypto Podcast. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, here we no, go. Like, if it's easy money, if it's just, all you have to do is just buy and huddle. I mean, it doesn't seem like weird. It doesn't seem like very punchy. Well, you're missing a step. You also need to soddle. Because if you just huddle, then it went all the way back down. We all need <laughs> well, to pull I'm a Charlie Lee up. next time around. Uh, the, the smartest guy in uh, crypto, perhaps. Well, Vinny, we appreciate you coming back to talk to us, and uh, we'll we'll have you back again. Anything you'd like to leave our listeners with here as we uh, sign off? Um, no, I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show, as always. No, we thought maybe you were going to throw some Civic up in the air and see where it landed, but that's okay. We appreciate that. Uh, you know, it's not okay. I told everybody you were doing an airdrop. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, tried, I tried not doing the Oprah thing. And you get a digital ID, and you get a digital ID. Yeah, that's look at your seats. Oh my god, here it is! Here it is! I see it. Wait, no, that's my that's just my butt under my my seat there. All right, Vinny, thanks, brother. Stay bad. Always take care, man. Cheers, bye. You know, Travis. Just after doing this interview, you and I went to South by Southwest, and there there was a Civic booth. And they had a a beer dispenser that had a mm -hmm. couple local canned beers in it. And mm -hmm. the way you would get a, a beer out of it is to have the Civic app scan a barcode. And what the reason that they did that to dispense beer is, well, you got to prove that you're of age. And mm -hmm. so your digital identity through the Civic app did that. And boom, out comes an ice cold, delicious beer. Very cool. I was really impressed with that. And you were as well. You got yourself a nice, delicious, cold beer, and you didn't drink it.
that I don't drink because I don't drink maybe. beer. Now, now maybe it's they had a wine. wine. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Maybe maybe it's a, a nice Malbec, then I would have been all over it. But <laughs> if you guys want to see this machine, uh, Travis and I actually created a video. Uh, it's about a six minute video. It's a lot of fun of our exploits at South by Southwest 2019. And if you'll go to the show notes, you'll at uh, badco.in forward slash 251, you'll see a link to the video. And if you jump to the 45 second mark, if you're like, you're super impatient, and you just want to see the Civic Beer Dispenser, go to the 45-second mark, and uh, you will see me using the Civic app to get a free beer. Yes. And make sure to comment on that because Mr. Joel Com edited that video like a pro. Man, that video was fun. Like We had a great time walking through South by Southwest and seeing all the stuff and looking at all the vendors and grabbing swag. And um, we were like swag pirates, man. We got so much booty. It was uh, it was amazing. You got booty at the mm. South by I didn't South by swag. You know, we got all got t shirts and stuff. Why do you say swag? You you put a a, a C H in there. It's just swag. S W A G. I call it swag because it's what oh. I want to call it. Do you know what swag stands for? Ah, uh, I do not. It is an acronym. Well, maybe it was meant to be, maybe it wasn't. But my understanding is that swag stands for stuff we all get. Ah. Very nice. Well, then it's not swag. It would be swag. Yeah. I should change my, and it's nuclear. (laughs) We got a few reviews that just (laughs) popped up this week. Uh, Brad, the futurist writes with five stars crypto for your ear holes. This is the only crypto podcast you need in your ear holes. Let the glorious crypto flow through the canals into your brains and change your life. Travis and Joel's are the absolute best duo you could ask for to deliver incredible content with a massive dose of hysterical every week that is so on the money with this world-changing technology. Thanks, you guys, for all you do, and stay bad. Oh, man, thank you, Brad the Futurist. That was a way better review than than Brad the Pastist wrote. Yeah, that's good. Thank you, buddy. Uh, This show is bad, says Leo Wolf 88 I am Satoshi Nakamoto, and I approve of this podcast. It's very nice. Wouldn't, uh, but if he was Satoshi Nakamoto, shouldn't his name be Satoshi Nakamoto and not Leo Wolf 88? I don't know. I I sense shenanigans, or, you know, maybe he's just trying to conceal his identity. Blaine Boy 7 writes, Crypto Clowns. I'm typically afraid of clowns. Mr. Travis Wright and Mr. Joel Com have helped me with my fear in a unique way and saved me thousands of dollars in therapist bills that I have now invested in bad coin, hoping for big things from that investment. Thomas, we've told you, his name is Thomas and he's in Nashville. Um, we tell you don't buy coins. And, and if you invest in bad coin, that's what you've just done. Well, we have converted bad coin into a blockchain and we're going to talk about that in the next episode with Marshall Long. So if you have not heard what we have done with Badcoin, uh, go to badcoin.net and read all about it. We're going to swap out those original Badcoins that we gave you guys for engaging with the show and converting them to a real coin that you're going to be able to mine on bad computers. So mm-hmm. you're going to want to hear all about that next episode with Marshall Long. That's uh, it's really big news. And I'm pretty excited about it, Mr. Joe Com. The more I've been thinking about it, it's like, but the the way we've set up Badcoin to be de- decentralized mining, so any computer can use it. I really think that code that we've created, that Marshall and his team have created, that we've helped uh, consult and build out. I think that could actually be used as governments could use that that blockchain for the living wage for any country that they wanted to set up, because it could basically 
here's the computer, here's the code, mine it, here's what this is worth, or the computer, the, the government could mine it and give it out to the people and make it worth something and call it whatever they want. But the code there could actually be something that could impact the world in a very positive way, and I'm pretty excited about it. It's going to be the next episode. You guys do not want to miss it. Just tattoo it on your hand so that you remember to listen to Bad Crypto number 252 with Marshall Long. And of course, love to get reviews from you as well. So please go to Facebook or iTunes or wherever you're able to write a review. Five stars if if that's what you think. Six stars if you want. Four stars or less. Mm, don't waste your time. But five stars waste your time for sure and uh um let's see what else i got oh if you're not bad yet then get bad and if you're already bad well then stay bad who's bad the Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.